Today's scripture reading is Mark 1, 21 to 45. Hear the word of the Lord. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching, and with authority. He even, he even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her. He took her by the hand and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, that was a long word of the Lord today, wasn't it? And uh, let me encourage you, if you have a Bible, whether in printed form or digital, to bring it to keep it open on Sunday mornings, because like today, we're going to be covering a lot of territory. 
Last Sunday, Pastor Jin began our new series in the Gospel of Mark, and he introduced us to the good news about Jesus and why it is important to follow Him. In today's next section of Mark chapter 1, he's going to present to us two days in Jesus' life in a really fast-paced account with three miracles. You just heard them read. Now, these miracles take place in Galilee. That's in the north part of Israel. So let's just take a moment and go to the classroom and see if we can imagine the geographical setting of the Gospel of Mark and Jesus' life. This area called Galilee you'll see in a moment, is where Jesus lived his entire adult life. Um, it's in the north part of the country of Israel. Israel is only about the size of the state of New Jersey, so we're not talking about a big area. And Galilee has a lake next to it. We call it in the Bible the Sea of Galilee. But if you think about a sea as a huge body of water, that's not. You could swim across it. It's uh, 10 miles wide, if you're a good swimmer, and 15 miles long. And that's where Jesus lived. He was born in the south in Bethlehem, but his parents migrated up to Nazareth. And then Jesus moved to Capernaum, and you will see that on the next slide. It's right at almost like 11 o'clock on the clock of the Sea of Galilee. Can you see the circle there? Capernaum. And he made that his base of operations. Capernaum, archaeologists have discovered, was a, kind of a bustling town. It was obviously a fishing village, for sure, because even today they still harvest fish from the sea. But it was on I-95, so to speak. It was on the Via Maris, the way of the sea, that connected Egypt in the south to India in the far east. And you can see that little line as it passes around the Sea of Galilee. That's why in Matthew's gospel, there was a toll booth there. And Matthew Levi was a tax collector collecting tolls as people went past. Um, the next slide will show you what it actually looks like today from a mountain high above the Sea of Galilee as we look north there. You can still see little villages dotting the landscape farmed areas that were no doubt the same 2,000 years ago. But if you take a look at the next slide, you'll see here, as you get further to the north, it gets more lonely, less building. You can still see maybe a little bit of settlement around the lake, but as you get up to the mountains, even today, it's much like it was 2,000 years ago. And on the next slide, you'll see here an overview, an aerial shot of what Capernaum looks like in the area that they have excavated for the last uh, 150 years. There's a harbor there. You can't see it in the water, but the foundations are there. And then to the left, there's a synagogue, the ruins of a synagogue. You can see the white limestone, and underneath are the foundations of 
The synagogue in the first century, when Jesus was there, it was made of black basalt. Not too far away, you can see what looks like a big enclosure over something. You see Peter's house. There's actually a church now built over the ruins of an octagonal church. And archaeologists have found uh, graffiti inscriptions that date to the first century that label this as not just Peter's house, but where obviously then Christians began to congregate and over the years began to uh, have a house church. Talk about a community group. There you go, right? And then the next slide will actually show you what it looks like to stand in front of this synagogue. And uh, that's where our first miracle occurs. Some of you have been there before, so you know what that's like. And it's amazing that we can put our fingers, so to speak, on that place and on this passage. Now, three miracles, two days, and what Jesus is going to show us is his absolute authority over demons, the spirit world, the evil and disease. He's going to heal in two ways. So, uh, this, this passage to me is remarkable. I know it's rather long, so I'm not going to go verse by verse through it. That's why it's important for you to have your Bible, you know, so you can see I'm going to make reference here and there. But even if you don't, you've got to capture this. Mark starts talking about Jesus, not with his birth in a manger, but with his ministry and his power and authority. And that makes all the difference. So, you ready? Let's look at the first miracle here in verses 20 through 28. It happened in that very synagogue. It says, on the Sabbath day, Jesus came to teach. And in uh, synagogues, if you were in a small village, you didn't have a, what we might call a local full-time pastor or rabbi. So if the visiting rabbi came, he was given the pulpit for the day. And in the middle of Jesus' sermon, people are whispering like, what? What? He's, what is he saying? And it says there, right, people were saying in verse 22, his teaching is not like all the other rabbis that come. He has authority. And we know from the ancient sources that the other rabbis would teach something like this. They would read a passage from the Torah, the Old Testament, and then they would say, this could mean this because Rabbi Gamaliel has his interpretation. Or, you know, it could mean that because Rabbi Hillel thinks maybe that's what it means. So, there you go. God bless you. That, that kind of thing. Almost like a lecture. Whereas Jesus was saying, I tell you this is what it means. It caught people off guard. And apparently, in the middle of the service, this man sitting there shrieks out with not his own voice, and he speaks. 
What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And of course, if you're sitting, I mean, imagine if somebody did that right now. Especially if you knew who the person was but heard a different tonation in their voice. You'd think, what is going on here, right? So, if it was me, I'm not sure what I would do. <laughs> Maybe the ushers would escort someone out or something like that. Jesus, though, looks at the man and tells him to be quiet, and he casts the demon out of him. Wow. Not only did they have a teaching with authority, but they had someone who could command the evil spirits and release this poor man from Satan's oppression over him. Wow, exorcism. This story is a preview of what happened, what will happen at the cross, right? Because that's when Jesus on the cross in his death actually came to attack the powers of darkness and defeat Satan. Paul tells us in Colossians 2.15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. At the cross of Jesus, it's his defeat of the evil one. It's decisive. It's forever. It's once for all done. But it's also a preview of something else. It's a preview of what God will do at the end of the age when Jesus returns to this world to finally put down all the evil that that condemned one is still doing in our world. Revelation 20 verse 10 says that when Jesus returns, the devil will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur and will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There's the big picture. And I'm telling you this morning, my friends, we've got to know that, to remember that, to remember that evil came into this world from another world, the angelic spirit world. In Genesis chapter 3, that's where the serpent... Later we learn that's Satan, brings it into the Garden of Eden, humanity embraces it, Adam and Eve give their allegiance to Satan, and in doing so they flip the entire future of humanity in Satan's direction. Here's the way Paul says it, by one man, sin came into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all people. So don't just look at the evil around us, the injustice, the sinful, tragic, hurtful acts that people do near and far. Don't, don't just look on the surface. There's another layer underneath. There's an invisible world that we don't see, but it ultimately motivates the thoughts and the actions of people. Do you realize that we, like they were in Jesus' day, are in the middle of a spiritual war? 
The raging debates or those tragic events in our world have their origins deep within the pit of Satan's domain. Paul says in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not up here, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I'm not trying to, trying to scare us today, but maybe I am. Maybe I should. Not scare, but at least wake us up. There's more going, around, more going on around us than we are aware of, and we need to be aware of it. Only when we follow Jesus can we be on the victorious side of this cosmic war. That's why the gospel, the gospel, the word, means good news. That's really good news because Jesus frees us from the power, the control of Satan. Listen to how Jesus told Paul what he would do as um, an apostle. Jesus said, I am going to open their eyes, that is, people you go to, Paul, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Do you see what happens when somebody becomes a Christian? They don't just say, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and, you know, I guess I'll go to church somewhere or something. No, there is a radical shift. Paul calls it this way. He says, Christ has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into his kingdom. He's rescued us. That's why we say we're saved. Saved from what? Well, there's a whole lot of damage that we are in, a whole lot of ruin. And one of them is we're controlled by Satan and his power and his demons. And when we go to Jesus, he breaks the power. Not the total influence, as we all know. Even Christians who are freed from Satan's control are not freed from Satan's influence. Oh, no. The demonic power is real, it's subtle, and it's powerful. And, and that's why Peter says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. So see if you can get this. You're released from the control of the devil, but his influence is still trying to get you back. So when, let's say, you lose your temper, speak with angry words, don't just say, well, it's because my parents set that example. You know, it's kind of inbred in me. Yeah, I know I got a bad habit. Well, that may be true, but also, demons are fanning the charcoal of anger into a flame. They don't sleep. <laughs> they don't go on vacation. 
and they've had practice on Christians for quite a long time before you were born. Our enemy is crafty. That's why Peter says we need to be alert, not afraid, be alert. There's only two sides in this cosmic war, so can I just ask, what side are you on? Whose side? That's the first miracle. Second miracle, in verses 29 through 34, is about healing, physical healing. And I love the story because if you remember the the aerial shot there of Capernaum, you see Peter's house there, and it says that uh, in verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went to the home of Simon and Andrew, Peter and Andrew. They lived just a couple steps away. Uh, these were two brothers who lived together with their extended families. We not, may not be used to that, but that's even true in the Middle East today, where you have multiple generations living in one house. One, <laughs> it gets bigger every generation. And apparently, Peter's mother-in-law was sick. She had a fever. And uh, the story says that Jesus came and instantly healed her with his gentle touch. It says in verse uh, 31, he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up, and the fever left her. No potions, no magical incantations, just the gentle touch of Jesus. What kind of authority flowed from Jesus? Here we see his authority over sickness. Do you see what he's doing? He's, he's giving us a preview of the cross where the Bible tells us he bore our sins and our sicknesses. He suffered physically and spiritually, and he triumphantly resurrected from death. I mean, think about it for a moment. This, this idea of resurrection is the ultimate good end of the story of sickness. Have you been sick lately? Yeah, well... You're here because you're probably well, but there are some who are not here today. Hopefully, maybe they're watching on live stream or later on, you know, recorded um, video or audio or whatever, and some are not even able to do that because maybe they are so terminally ill, they're not even able to do that. Not every sickness, but some sicknesses lead to death, and you will get a sickness that will lead you to death unless Jesus comes, right? We're all going to die of something. But this miracle shows us that Jesus has the power to stop that midstream, and his resurrection shows that he has the power to reverse sickness and death totally. Wow. That's why we pray. We do pray for healing for people now. And I know of at least two people at Shelton who are suffering what might be terminal illnesses. 
but from their own lips they say, we have a hope that's beyond death. I don't hear self-pity. I don't hear complaint. I hear pain, suffering, sorrow, sure, but not without hope. Now, remember, when Jesus was on earth, he didn't heal everyone. His healings were sporadic, localized. So we're reading the story about Galilee. Well, there were people in Samaria. There were people in Tyre and Sidon. There were people down in Judea and Jerusalem. Never says he healed them. So please don't go to these stories of Jesus healing and say, well, look, he healed this fever, or later on we'll see other healing miracles and say, well, then he must be going to heal me when I pray. Mm, no, you can't make that connection. He can, he might, but he may not. The miracles were not given as an end in themselves. They were a giant finger pointing to his message, to his person. And when you come to Jesus in faith, you will be healed, if not now, eventually. And that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. We know that when the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. So when Jesus returns, the one who died and rose will take our death and turn it into resurrection. 2 Corinthians 4.14. So God's authority over death and disease brings life and healing. That's why some of you are in the medical community. Some of you are nurses and doctors, and others of you may want to become that, and that's wonderful in the pharmaceutical realm. But our, our ultimate hope, our ultimate hope is not in better technology or some miracle cure because there will always be the next thing to cure or the next one to discover a cure for. Our ultimate hope is in our risen, resurrected, and coming King. You following him today? Third miracle in verses 40 through 45. It's about a, uh, a cleansing. Now, what does this mean? Well, the story is about a man who had leprosy. That's what it says there in verse 40. And if your Bible has a footnote next to the word leprosy, like my Bible does, it says the Greek word traditionally translated for leprosy was used for various diseases affecting the skin. In fact, rabbis of that time tell us that there were 72 different types of leprosy, of skin diseases. 72, wow. Everything from eczema to skin cancer and everything in between, right? So what we know as today, Hansen's disease, maybe you've seen tragic pictures, right, of people whose flesh is literally being eaten away by this disease. That's included in it, but it's not limited to it. But here's the point. In Scripture, back in the book of Leviticus, chapters 13 and 14, 
Leprosy is not just a sickness. It's a symbolic sickness. It becomes a symbol of sin and separation from God. There's two whole chapters written about it. It's almost like you're reading a, a medical manual on how to, how to diagnose yourself and when you need to go to the priest who acted like a doc, doctors and that sort of a thing. But the basic idea was, if you are leprous, you're not just sick, you are ostracized from the community. You are supposed to actually cry out when other people get near you, unclean, stay away. It's almost like these people were the living dead. I can't imagine what that would be like. But I can understand why in verse 40, the man's request to Jesus is not heal me, but cleanse me. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Do you see the difference between healing a fever and cleansing leprosy? Because leprosy had this double penalty. It was both medical and social. It was sickness and isolation. And if... Uh, if you're into, like, uh, Greek manuscripts, just tell you a little bit about how our Bibles came to us. In verse 41, some Greek manuscripts say that when Jesus saw this man, heard this man, he was indignant. He was angry, whereas other manuscripts say he was moved with pity or compassion. Now, I know it sounds like, <laughs> where, do you, where do you get two different readings there, and uh, I don't know, without getting into all the details, we're not exactly sure whether it was indignant or pity, but both are true, right? I can see Jesus being really, really upset because when he looked at a leper, he just didn't look at the man, he looked at the source of it and said, that's not the way it's supposed to be, and I've come to reverse the curse. And it was his pity, his heartfelt compassion that sent him on this rescue mission to reverse the curse. So when Jesus healed the man, how did he do it? And again, this is what? He touched him. You can see that in the text. He touched him says in verse 41. You don't touch lepers. Why? Because you may get the leprosy. It's contagious. But not with Jesus. Because his authority was so strong and powerful that his healing overcame the disease. Wow. And so, when this man suddenly had his skin cleansed, maybe almost like a baby, right? Like no blemishes. Can you imagine that? It wasn't just like, wow, I'm healthy, but it's, wow, I can join a community group. I can join every community group. I, can you imagine? 
from being in total isolation to total healing and acceptance. A clean bill of health. That is the picture of what Jesus does by all of us who are diseased by sin, right? It affects our body. We get sick. We will die. But we're also separated from God. We've got the double curse. And Jesus has the double cure. When when we simply ask Jesus, and maybe you're like this here today, and you're starting to realize it, you can't dig yourself out of the hole. You can't cure yourself. Well, how do I do it? Well, I guess I got to be better. I guess I got to, I don't know, go to church or get my, myself in shape here. I, I got to quit this habit. And, no, 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 stop. Be like this man. Just ask Jesus, will you make me clean? That's called faith. And it's a question that Jesus never refuses to answer. Like, well, I'll think about it. Or, no, you got to clean up better. No, he came to those who were sick to heal them. Later in Mark's gospel, he will say, I didn't come for healthy people. I came for sick people. So if you're sick, go to... The doctor, his name is Jesus. He will heal you just when you ask him. And once you get that cleansing, you are, in the words of the hymn writer, washed by the blood of the Lamb. Fully cleansed by faith in Christ. Have you you experienced that? Nothing like it. Now, I got to give a little little footnote here and say, when when you heard the story read, or maybe you've heard this before, did you ever wonder why Jesus tells this man to be silent? You know, he says in verse forty-four, "See that you don't tell anyone." <laughs> you know, I was like, "Hold it!" I would think this would be the greatest advertisement for your ministry, Jesus. Well, it's not the only time in the Gospels. Remember, he told the demon, be quiet. I don't need your advertising. But why? And we'll see it again in Mark's Gospel. Well, most people think the reason for this was because at this time in Jesus' ministry, he was just starting, he, he wanted to slowly reveal his authority and his power. He didn't need demons or this man to loudly broadcast it especially when the Romans were afraid of military rebels, messiahs that they were already fighting with. And Jesus' posture in the gospel was always one of hiddenness, quiet, not loud, not broadcasting it all over. And that's because, as James Edwards says, the faith of his disciples must be evoked through humility and ultimately through suffering. And if one will not receive Jesus in this form, one will not receive Jesus in all his power and majesty. Now remember, Jesus' life on earth 
back then is now over. So we, you and I, should proclaim Jesus loudly to everyone we see. Three miracles. Wow. But you know, there's one story I didn't mention yet. And it's tucked away between the second and the third miracle. It's in verses 35 through 39. It's not a miracle. It's not a story about what Jesus did for others. It's a story about what Jesus did for himself. And it simply, it simply says, um, very early in the morning, while it was dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus needed to get away and be with God, not with people. Even the Son of God had to get alone with his Father. Now, again, this to me is like, hold it. You are Jesus. You are the God-man. Yes. So it's my understanding that it has to be adjusted. What am I missing here? Well, what I'm missing is it's got to be if Jesus needed to pray and draw strength from his relationship to his Father, well, how much more must we, must I make it a priority in my life too? It's not enough to coast. You are not an endless supply of energy. You may want to help other people. Yet, well, you've got enough to do with just what you're doing for your job or your kids or your family or your friends. But then if you ever think, well, I'm selflessly giving, well, that's great, and we should, and we, we are. I know many of us are doing that. But you know what? Um, there's like in your car, there's a gauge there, and it could go to E unless you refuel. And we all need to stop. We all need to take time. Don't expect time to find you. Now, it may not be early in the morning, but it should be deliberately chosen and protected. You do that? As often as you need it. <laughs> Could I just say, don't feel guilty. You need to be with God. And once you experience that kind of refreshment and restoration, listening to His promises, sometimes listening to his challenges, unburdening your heart in prayer, sometimes with tears, feeling his peace that passes all human understanding. I guarantee you, once you experience that, you will want more. You'll still have to fight for it, but you will want it more. So let's follow Jesus. He's the one with authority over disease and demons, and he's the one who set the example of going to his Father who 
is our Father when we follow Him. That's why there's an old hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And Father, we come now to close our time in prayer, not out of formality, but out of necessity. Thank you for our beautiful Jesus, the one with all authority. I pray that today if there's someone here who has only seen Jesus at a distance and never come to feel his touch of healing and forgiveness, that right now they may look and live. And I pray that every one of us that know him may get to know him better and closer as we spend deliberate time with him with you in secret. How we thank you for our Savior, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.